I'm so glad we could um, crush all those resolutions we made a week ago about losing weight and eating a little bit less in 2024 together here at Pilgrim this Sunday. Um, really excited to be here with you guys. Um, since we're roundtables, I thought I'd take advantage of the, the setup and do something I love doing, and I'm going to read the text and give you guys, I know you just spent some time praying together and interacting with people more, sorry, but I'm going to give you guys a few minutes around your table to just discuss the passage that we're looking at this morning. So it's Matthew 5, 13 through 16. It's probably one of the most common, iconic, well-known passages in the Sermon on the Mount. There are many, but this one is quite well-known, often quoted. So I'm going to read it. Again, it's going to be up on the screen. Uh, perhaps you have a Bible or a device or whatever around your table. But then I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to put a six-minute timer up on the screen and just give you guys a few minutes to chat about it. What pops out to you? What's interesting? Maybe do you have a question that arises from it, something you don't understand, something that you would like to lean into a little bit more or something like that. So let me read to you Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So take a few minutes around your table, chat, what stands out to you, what's interesting, what's inspiring, what do you not like, what questions do you have, and then I'll pop back up here in a few minutes. That was an exciting New Year's countdown on the screen there. Thanks for doing that. I would love to hear a couple things that popped up at some tables. You shouldn't be that surprised by that. I've pulled this move before. What's something interesting, and, and you can share someone else's thought and sound brilliant. I always say that. What's something interesting or a question that popped up at your table or something you guys were thinking about or mulling over? Sarah at our table had a good point about the higher up your light is, the more it shines, the bigger the influence versus if you've got your light down low or if you put it up high. Um, That's something to think about in terms of what we're doing. I just saw this, like, hilarious reel. It's these two construction guys and their foreman comes over and they're looking over the edge of this big, like, concrete well into the ground. And they're like, we're done. Deepest well we've ever dug. And they're like, we just don't understand what the light is at the bottom. And the foreman takes the plans and turns them upside down. He's like, you were building a lighthouse. Uh, So that just made me think of that. Anyways, it's probably funnier if you watch the reel, but it's true. Uh, It's a really good point. I like that. That's a cool thought. Who else would love to share something? We'll get a couple more. Thanks for sharing that, Andre. Slash Sarah. Guys. I'm a very patient person. Every minute I wait up here is a minute I don't have to preach, so it's all good. (laughs) What's something, it doesn't have to be groundbreaking. What's something that was shared at your table that you're like, that was neat, or this is something I'm thinking about? We're talking about the question that's posed in the text, how can it be made salty again? So how, how does that happen? Did you... Go on. Can you give us a little bit more on that? That's kind of a teaser. <laughs> well, that was what we were in the middle of discussing. Like, just, I don't know. We had a few different ideas, but, like, the idea of, I guess, forgiveness and and that Jesus offers that and that you can be made salty again. You don't necessarily have to be trampled underfoot. <laughs> Love that. Who's next? 
We got one more in here. Yeah, right there. Um, we're just talking about, well, kind of collaboratively. Um, sometimes if you're alone shining the light, it can seem dimmer, um, as opposed to having a church body to shine the light stronger to the community. Um, yeah. That's really good. Thanks so much for sharing that. Thanks for sharing, guys. Um, my family just went to Manitoba for Christmas. And I don't know if you guys heard, but Swoop Airlines uh, went out of business a couple months ago. And Flair just didn't have flights to Manitoba. And it seems like WestJet and Air Canada are maybe trying to recoup some COVID losses right now or something. So it's going to be a little over $3,000 for a family to fly to Manitoba. We don't go on exotic vacations. But I was like, why would we spend $3,500 flying to Portage La Prairie, Manitoba, this is the time to go to the Bahamas or a cruise or like something. Anyways, we drove to Manitoba and, uh, you know, we drove straight through 22 hours on the way there this past week as we were driving back. I was actually thinking about this text because I don't know if any of you have driven the Coquihalla in the middle of the night recently. It's really dark, like in, in, incredibly dark when you're in the prairies, you know, someone's headlights that you can see from like 30 miles away. Cause it's so flat, gives a little bit of light. There aren't as many clouds and stuff. The Coke Hall is very dark. And since it's so curvy, you become very aware of the dark and how little reflectors they've actually put up on the curves and stuff like that. It's so dark. But it's so interesting when you, like, you're driving and then all of a sudden there's that ominous glow in the distance, right? Like, it's just, and you see something and you're like, oh, we must be getting close to merit. And it's just kind of that, that glow coming from over the horizon. There's a city. And because in North America, we have lights that burn in our cities all night long. Uh, you can see the city approaching from like a long ways away, further than you can actually really even like see objects. Usually you just see this light. I think about that with this. I was thinking about this idea of like a town burning brightly up high on the top of a hill and you can see it from a long ways away. And even in like the darkest highway, even in the darkest night where, you know, when you're driving the Coquihalla, you're like, it's hard to see the lane lines like 40, 50 feet ahead of you. Sometimes it's quite dark. But all of a sudden, you just see this glow, this huge glow. And Jesus says to people who are his followers, he says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. One of the questions I was processing, and I invite you to ask, process this yourself, is if Jesus were to show up right now, and we were like, hey, Jesus, would you please just describe me? Or would you describe Pilgrim Church? Or would you describe the church in Canada or the modern church in the world? If we just asked him to honestly describe us, do you think that these words would be his like really honest, authentic description? And I'd say this on like a corporate level, but also an individual level. If you're like, hey, Jesus, you know, write my Tinder bio for me or like write, you know, like write who I am. Sorry, Christian Mingle bio or whatever. <laughs> be honest. Would Jesus look at us and say, you, you're light burning brightly like a town on a hill. You're salt, bringing flavor and value to the world. Would that be his honest description? Obviously, that's what he'd want us to be. And I've been actually just asking that question about myself and about the church in general and the world today. If Jesus showed up, would he say, yeah, yeah, you guys are light. You guys are salt. You guys are totally doing this. Or would it sound a little bit more like, well, I wish you were a little saltier. I wish you would burn a little more brightly. I wish you weren't this upside-down lighthouse buried down into the ground a well. Like, 
you know, I know there's like the living water thing and stuff in the Bible, but it's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus offers first this idea, this being the salt of the earth. And if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard this terminology, go be salt, go be light. And I don't want to like beat that to death because we've talked about that a lot and we've thought about that a lot. But Jesus is talking about something of great value. Salt back in the day, soldiers would often get paid in salt because it was valuable enough. Um, It's why the the turn of the phrase, I don't know if you've ever heard that uh, expression, they're worth like he's worth his salt or they're worth their salt. I actually, a lot of those old expressions, I don't really know what they mean or how they work, but apparently that one comes because salt was quite valuable. It was used as a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration. It adds flavor, something of great value. Jesus says to his followers, you should bring great value. You should be like a wonderful, wonderfully welcomed seasoning to the world. You should be preserving truth. You should be the ones bringing hope and life to decaying world. This is what my kingdom is like. When Jesus talks here and he says, you're the salt and you're the light, he's describing what his kingdom is like and what people in his kingdom are like. So he would say, if you are part of my movement, if you're part of my kingdom, you're not like, you know, some kind of bland, dim, bland food, dim light, but you're salt. You're this important seasoning. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? I'm no um, scientist. What do you call that? Chemist? I don't know. The elements. It's, I know it's like Na on the elemental, t- the periodic table. I don't know. I didn't take chemistry. But I'm guessing, what? Oh, NaCl. Right, right. You need sodium chloride. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I should use analogies that I know anything about, right? The first time I spoke here, I said something about chaff and farming and stuff. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember, Shell got up afterwards. He's like, well, actually, you need to learn something about biomass. And I was like, bro, I was just, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> NACL, salt, saltiness. It's like, I'm no chemist, but I'm pretty sure the question, the, it's a rhetorical question that says, like, if salt isn't salty anymore, it's useless. It can be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And it's actually a pretty intense statement of judgment that Jesus offers. This kind of question of like, do you want to be part of finding your identity in my kingdom where you're salt and bringing preservation and value and seasoning and spice to the world around you? Or do you want to be trampled underfoot? In fact, the first time I spoke here, it was Psalm 1. And it's kind of these two extremes. You're either like this fruitful tree or this chaff, which apparently I know nothing about. We'll get shell back. But um, it's like that will be thrown into the wind and will be discarded. You're kind of one or the other. And Jesus kind of pronounces judgment. But here's this brilliant invitation into a life and into a world that needs, that needs truth, that needs hope, that needs preservation. You are the salt of the earth. Is that how Jesus would describe me if he showed up right now today? If you're like, tell me about Ryan, would he say, Man, he's bringing salt to the world around him. We do that. Then he goes on to say, you were the light of the world. Now, in the first one, he's kind of almost making this, it's this invitation with kind of judgment pronounced with it, if we're honest. We don't like that word, but it's kind of this judgment. It's like, if you're not going to join in, then you're like, you know, you're, you're like something that could be discarded and trampled underfoot. But then he uses irony here. Because this is what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. I say it's irony because what Jesus is saying is true. 
in the sense that a town lit up on a hill can't be hidden, and a lamp lit and put under a bowl in Jesus' day actually couldn't stay lit because the bowl would suffocate the flame. But I think it's irony because Jesus knows that in his audience, then and thousands of years later, there would be many people who would be a town built on a hill that is hidden. There would be many people who would light a lamp and put it under a bowl. There would be many people who are like, I call them like sleeper agent Christians, right? Like they're like secretly in their schools and at workplace and stuff like that. And it's like, it's like we're more hidden than like Russian spies. You know, it's like, don't let, don't let anyone know. I grew up in the church and I wasn't really following Jesus in junior high and high school. Um, but even when I started to, I was just embarrassed to even bring it up. And what I actually found is that I was so scared about people thinking one thing about me or judging me or not liking me that I would actually almost be dishonest the other way and hiding the, th- the spiritual things that I was involved in. When I was in grade 10, I was in this school called Bears Paw Christian School. It's just outside of Calgary. In Bears Paw, it's this community just on the edge of Calgary. There's also what's called an alternative school. If you're not familiar with that, it's a school for students who are struggling in the real school system. And usually, I'm not saying this is true, but usually other high schoolers would view people at the alternative schools like kind of bad kids, the castaways and stuff like that. In grade 10, when people would say, what school do you go to? I would just say Bears Paw, knowing that they would assume that I was at the school that the, the alternative school, assuming that I was like maybe a drug addict or had a lot of like behavioral issues or whatever, then thinking I was part of a Christian school. And we can kind of laugh about that, and it's kind of silly. But how many of us do that? We get home from holidays, we go to work. Hey, what would you do over the holidays? And we'll do anything but share any of the like. It's like, oh, gifts, this, food, whatever. None of us would be like, oh, I was part of this like cool Christmas Eve gathering. I was part of this thing. You know, as, oh, I've been doing this really cool discipleship course at my church. It's been really neat. It's about mental health, stuff like that. We're very inclined to hide it almost to the point where I think it's actually like dishonest. It's not just like, oh, we don't want to be too invasive. What's fascinating, I think, about the call to be salt and light is that many of us, when we hear Jesus say, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, that actually sounds cool. Like that actually sounds exciting until we think about what it actually costs and what it actually takes. I don't know for sure why the Sermon on the Mount is organized the way it is, but I do have, I do sometimes wonder if there's a reason why this idea of salt and light comes right after the part where Jesus talks about being persecuted and insulted and looked down on for being a follower of Jesus. I think that Jesus would say, the brighter you shine, the higher up you place your light, the bolder you are, the more people can see your light shining through the darkness across the dark highway horizon, the more you bring flavor to this world, the more you try to preserve the truth of Jesus, the more you stand up for that, the more you could probably look back to the statement right before this, blessed are you when people persecute you, insult you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. In, in that section of the sermon right before this, when Jesus says, blessed are you when you and you're persecuted, he says, rejoice and be glad because that's the way they treated the prophets who were before you. In Luke 6, Jesus says, woe to you if everyone likes you because that's the way they treated the false prophets. We can become so, we can become so consumed with being liked that we miss the true call of Jesus to just go be salt and light. To be honest, if we're really 
true to the song that we sang, all glory to be to Christ. We should be, the word obnoxious maybe sounds bad, but we should be like kind of obnoxious in how brightly we shine. And we should be experiencing that people maybe don't like us for that inside and outside of the church. Because woe to you if everyone likes you, Jesus says, because that's how they treated the false prophets. But the true prophets, people insulted them, persecuted them, and rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. It's like a Sunday school verse. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. I'm sure there are a bunch of like little children's church songs that go along with that, and it sounds cheery and fun until you grow up and you're in grade 10 going to a Christian school or you work in a workplace in the school system or whatever, and you're like, the world's kind of hostile toward this. What if I lose my job? I remember one time we were on tour and we, we didn't play a lot of schools, but we were playing this middle school in Mississippi. And usually at our shows, we, we didn't tour like in churches mostly, but we would often say, we would usually say something about our faith. Well, okay. We would like always say something about Jesus from on stage. We'd play a rock and roll show and say some stuff about Jesus. I remember we were playing this middle school in Mississippi. And before the show, we were talking to the principal. It's just a public school. And we said, hey, you know what? We usually like share something about our faith. It's not going to be like a five-hour sermon or anything like that. We're not going to make people put their hands up or anything, but we're just going to say something. Is that okay? And he paused for a second. He said, you know what? Go for it. He's like, if there's a reason I'm going to lose my job, then I would want that to be why I lose my job. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Oh, blessed are you if you lose your job because your light's shining too brightly. Not blessed are you if you're able to keep your job and people think you're polite and nice enough, but you kind of put that bowl over the lamp. Or you were a town on a hill that was hidden. I hope that question sticks with me. How would Jesus describe me? Would he describe me as salt and light? Here's the last thought I want to share about this idea. Because if we're going to be light and salt, those are like metaphors, right? Like Jesus is saying, you're salt, you're light. We're not literally going to turn into light beams and blocks of salt. I think one thing that we often do, and I think this is not just like unique to the modern church, but throughout the history of the church that we've struggled with, is we hear a little bit of theological truth from God. Be like this, do this, engage in this. And then we go to the wrong source to define it. We go to the world and the culture around us to define it. It's kind of like if I want to know what a word means, looking it up in the encyclopedia. Or if I want to know like the history of an event, looking it up in the dictionary. Or say like I meet LeBron James. He's like, yo, you should like become a professional basketball player. I'm like, okay, sweet. And I walk away and I go to my dentist. I'm like, hey, can you like teach me how to hoop? You know, or like if I want to like become an accountant and I go to like my doctor and I'm like, hey, teach me accounting. Maybe my doctor strangely is good at accounting. I don't know. But it's like we go to like a different source. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We know that. We know that. But buried at the end of this text is a part of it that we usually ignore and miss out on, and it's central to the Sermon on the Mount in the text. Jesus says, you're the salt, you're the light. And he says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. And here's the thing, because this is language that we've kind of rejected in the modern church because we've turned to culture. We've reacted against some of the legalism of the church historically, which I think in some ways is good to react against. But we've gone so far to the other extreme that when we hear anything like good deeds or like morality or anything like that, we're like, oh, that's like just you know being saved by work. It's nothing like that. These are just the words of Jesus. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
There's this idea in the Bible, holiness, righteousness, that people should actually be able to see like bursting out of us. I want to give you guys a little picture to wrap this up, and then I'll offer you a benediction, and we'll, we'll head out. And I'm sure there are lots of leftovers if you want to. It's like basically lunchtime now. So in the beginning, you can read at the start of the Bible. The Bible's not all in chronological order. Fortunately, the in the beginning part is right at the start. It's really easy to find. In the beginning, it's all dark. The Bible describes it in Hebrew, tohu, vavohu, formless and empty. The world is formless, it's empty, and it's just this swirling, dark chaos. And God speaks. He just starts a conversation. Words come out of his mouth. He speaks, and what happens is that light invades the chaotic blackness. Completely dark. I mean, I think the coca Hollow is dark. If I turn my headlights off or if I put a blindfold on or whatever, it's just like, it would be insane. Just pure nothingness, blackness. If you shine a flashlight, you won't even see it because it has nothing to bounce off of. Blackness. And God speaks and light comes in to the world. His light invades the darkness and breaks through it so that we can see clearly. But what I love in this creation narrative is many things. But one of the things I love is there's this refrain through the poem of Genesis 1. At the end of almost every quotation, it says, and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God, it doesn't say that on the second day, but Mondays, you know, it's tough. So God saw that it was good. 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 And at the end of the story... He does something unique. He doesn't just speak and creates, but he speaks something that bears his reflection and his image. It doesn't just mean, oh, these people look like him, but it means these people are given the opportunity to now take his character, his purpose, his like holy persona on and reflect that to the world around us, to go and bear his light to everyone around them. Well, if there's one way we could describe God's creation at the end of Genesis 1, what is it? Good. It's very good. After he creates people, he says it's very good. I don't think that's a comment on God saying, oh, it's good. Like, I did a good job. Looks nice. Cool. Look, I'm out. Look at these awesome mountains I made. But it's actually him expressing and revealing his character. God is a good God. He's a righteous God. He's free from impurity. He's free from imperfection. He's free from darkness. He's the light that breaks through the darkness. I think somehow we've bought into this myth, myself included in the modern church, that we can believe that God is good and we can live our lives as quite ungood and somehow still be reflecting his light. But what that is, is that's just taking the bowl of the culture and the world around us and defining goodness in their way and covering that lamp that God's given us. He's saying, break free of that and let my goodness, my light shine through you. That's the start of his story is letting light break through the darkness and it's good. Let your good deeds shine before others that they may see your father in heaven. Will some people not like you? Totally. Will some people look down on you? For sure. Will they think you're lamer because you go to a Christian school instead of the like cool bad kids alternative school? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's like a weird grade 10 thing. 
Will people at your workplace, will it cost you a promotion? Will it cost you a job? Will it cost you some things? Will it cost you some relationships? Yeah, totally. But it's this interesting thing where I think Jesus says, a town on a hill cannot be hidden. And we're like, challenge accepted. You know, I'll show you. I'll show you how to hide a hill, how, how to hide a town on a hill. All glory be to Christ. We sang that. If that's true, there's no question that our lives would be full of the goodness, the holiness, and righteousness of God, and we would be light breaking through the darkness. We would be a flavoring, preserving, valuable salt in this world that is in desperate need of healing and hope and forgiveness. I'm going to wrap up. Uh, Josh shared with me this benediction uh, that works so well with this text, so I'll read this to you guys, and then we're going to... That's it. That'll be the end. There's no song at the end. So just warning you, because I know we get into a routine, and at the end you're going to be like, ah, where's the song? So anyways, it's just me. Go forth into the world. Proclaim the good news of Christ.